0: Well, up here with me are Dan and Melissa Donovan, and uh, I'm going to let them introduce themselves uh, to you this morning, and we're going to hear a little bit about uh, their own lives. So, move over, uh, Melissa. Tell us a little bit about you.
1: I'm Melissa Donovan, and I'm married to the strong man of God, Dan Donovan, <laughs> and. I have two kids, a first grader, uh, Joshua, who's six, and a preschooler who's three. And I really love being a mom, it's such a joy. And I've been a public school teacher in Santa Ana for 12 years teaching eighth grade science.
0: All right, Dan, three sentences, who are you? Three
2: (laughs) sentences. My name's Dan, and I'm the strong man of the (laughs) relationship. uh, we've been married now 11 years and uh, Melissa has been an amazing partner and friend to me all these years and I still love her and we are still learning to love each other, but we definitely love each other and um, like Melissa said, we got two great boys, very sweet and creative and full of life and fills our home and I, I feel that our life's very full because of them. And I'm also a public school teacher and I've been a public school teacher for now nine years.
0: So, Dan, you're a teacher at Willard Intermediate. Melissa, you're at Mendez Fundamental. Why are you teachers? Why middle school? Dan, why don't you go first? Oh, great. Yeah, why am I doing this? Why Uh, am I middle school? (laughs) Okay. It's like, why am I?
2: No, uh, I'm a middle school teacher. You know, I didn't actually set out to be a middle school teacher. Uh, I didn't set (laughs) out. I didn't set out to be a middle school teacher, uh, believe it or not, I actually worked in film and television for a little bit out of college, and um, I went into sales and marketing, and I was just a young guy trying to figure out what to do with my life, and bounced around quite a bit until I got married, and that stabilized me just a little bit, and um, what, uh, what, when I married Melissa, she, she wanted to be a teacher. I'd never thought about being a teacher, but I became unemployed for a couple years, and like a good wife, she suggested to me, <laughs> why don't you try substitute teaching? And I actually did, and uh, believe it or not, it didn't feel like a job at all. It reminded me of when I first became a Christian. I had gotten involved in my local church, and I volunteered quite a bit in the youth ministry and children's ministry, so when I started substitute teaching, it just felt like a glove. So.
0: All right, Melissa, why, why teaching, why middle school? Okay.
1: So I knew I wanted to be a teacher since I was in second grade, I grew up in public schools and loved all my teachers and developing relationships with my teachers and so I knew that's something I wanted to do. And then in high school I really started to enjoy science, I enjoyed my biology teacher. I went to a conservative public school so he would uh, engage in debates about evolution not really letting us know what he really believed in. But I loved uh, seeing science through a Christian worldview and seeing how it points towards a creator. To me, seeing like the cell and the human eye and human beings knowing that that couldn't have happened by random chance, but how it points towards God. And Romans 1:20 says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature can be clearly seen by what is made so that all men are without excuse so to me science is just such a great way to see that uh, there is a god and there is someone that cares for us and even more than that he wants a relationship with us and he loves us so um, my interest in science was uh, started and so i went to college and became a science teacher and middle school was the first job that i found (laughs) not really looking for it, but it turned out God worked it together for good, because middle schoolers, they have open minds, they're really ready to learn new things, and they're very moldable at that age, yet very independent, so it's been a fun grade to to learn to work with uh, more and more, and so when I started being a teacher, I didn't know that I would be called to be an advisor to a Christian club. When I first started as a teacher, I was a little bit shy to share my Christian faith, but with friends like Dennis Cole and Ken Dean encouraging me to uh, be more bold in my faith, I've um, I've been stretched in that area, and now being an advisor to a Christian club has really helped me share my faith in the public school, and it's been an amazing experience, so uh During public school, if you have it during lunch or after school, you're welcome to have a Christian club, especially it needs to be a student-run club, so I'm the advisor as a teacher. And so it's amazing. I have this core group of leader students that come to my uh, room every lunch on Friday, and we read the Bible together, and we pray, we play fun games, and we really try to make a group where they feel involved and feel belonged. And um, then that group, as a group of core leaders, they, we work on two outreaches a month where we have an all-campus huddle, it's called. So we're part of an organization called FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so it's neat, we have um, outside help twice a month and they'll bring in pizza and speakers and then we try to make signs and advertise to our entire campus. And so we'll pack out my room with, like, over 60 students on those weeks. And the gospel message is just given so clearly during that time, how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. And if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that we can be saved. And it's just, I've seen many, many kids give their lives to Christ, raising their hands, saying the salvation prayer right in my room during lunch and it blows me away to be a part of it uh, the great thing about FCA is that they have a lot of things like Bibles and ways to help the students out that make decisions, we have a church that meets right at our school on Sunday and so uh, it's been exciting to be a part of that and see that happen um, It's not always easy, and sometimes I feel like, why do I, why does God call me to do that? And even at the beginning of this year, I was feeling, I saw that God, in my weakness, God's power was shown. And I hadn't made signs for the leaders club to start meeting yet, and I hadn't advertised as much as I wanted. I hadn't had a chance to buy any snacks, and... I'm just thinking, okay, it's supposed to be our first meeting. No one's going to show up, maybe one person. And um, we had our first meeting, and God worked, even though I feel like I could have done more. And God brought 29 leaders that first meeting just that wanted to be a part of FCA this year. And so... I think sometimes it just needs us showing up. We don't need to have everything perfect Mm -hmm. or know exactly what to say or have it all planned out. We just need to say, God, I'm willing, and show up and do the best we can, and he'll do the rest for us.
0: Amen. Okay, so that's what's going on today and where God has brought you. Where did you come from? Tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey uh, with the Lord.
1: Okay, so I wasn't born into a Christian family. I My mom's, uh, she started, was invited to a Bible study when I was in second grade, and she became a Christian and started going to church, and invited my dad and my whole family, and uh, we all started to learn about Jesus together. I remember going to a Christian camp in fourth grade and uh, understanding that I knew Jesus as my Savior. I understood that he died on the cross for my sins, and I remember at that camp being moved to tears for people who didn't know Jesus as their personal savior and really wanting, um, giving me a desire to share Jesus with those people. I remember the next year uh, out on the playground during recess sharing with my friend about Jesus and she said a prayer right there and asked Jesus into her heart and so it was kind of my start on that journey of uh, discipling and telling others about Jesus. It, sometimes my spiritual walk has been two steps forward and one step back, um, but I like that verse that says, and I don't want to get it wrong here, that, um, being confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it until completion, until the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1, 6. Um, so it's not always perfect and easy, um even now that I'm really honored that God uses me to have a lot of students come into my room and hear the gospel message and be shared uh, that truth of Christ. Sometimes it's really hard. And I'm trying to balance a lot of things. Uh, It takes a lot of energy uh, to raise two boys. And being a mom is such a joy and a blessing. And I wish I would have been told about how much joy being a mom was when I was younger. I felt like I was always told to get a career and get a good job and that was really important. But even in the church, I didn't have a lot of godly women say, you know, being a mom is such an incredible thing and a blessing from God. And so in my teens and early 20s, I thought I didn't want to be a mom. It wasn't something I was looking for. I'm so thankful God brought that into my life and Uh, an amazing gift so I I do encourage us to tell our young kids how awesome being a parent is and it's it's hard work but we don't need to like always just talk about the hardships talk about the joys too (laughs) and um, so this year um, just and uh, for a lot of years being able to balance being a full-time teacher and being part of a club Uh, that takes a lot of energy and service uh, to students, and energy, and then having that energy and enthusiasm and love for my family and my kids is not always easy in finding that right balance. And um, this year, I've had some health issues that are at least in part due to the stress of everything, and I've had a lot of stress and anxiety that I've been dealing with, and um, I wasn't going to share all of this at first, but on Wednesday, a, a, a girlfriend of mine shared how she was dealing with it. And I just, it was reassuring to hear other people say that. And so I'm like, okay, God, I'll talk about some of the hardships too and how God works through those. But um, so even um, finding that right balance, it's been hard. And I've had health issues these last um, this last year, and even sometimes i've had to go to the hospital and it turns out that they're panic attacks and it's just been uh, trying to figure out how to how God wants me to balance all of that together and um, i I like the verse of I, I look to the heavens, where does my help come from? My help comes from the lord the maker of the heavens and the earth and so to me knowing that god the maker of the heavens and the earth can be my help even when i feel like i can't do everything and i don't know how to do everything i know that he can help me i'm praying for wisdom and doing the best of what i'm called to right now um, with god's help
0: and confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. All right, Dan, tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey.
2: Um, Okay. Um, Where should I start here? Um, I actually did not grow up in a Christian home. I... uh, Uh, if you look at Melissa and I you can see kind of the differences, she's light, I'm dark (laughs) (laughs) that explains everything, okay, (laughs) just so you know and so I grew up in a home that was almost completely opposite my family was broken from the time I was young and there was alcoholism in my family and there was uh, just a lot of strife and you know, and that created money problems and just instability throughout um, when I was a young kid and I really reacted in my teens and um um, and in my teens, my father actually passed away and and uh, there was a lot of hardship at that time and I actually ended up dropping out of high school so it's a wonder that I actually became a public school teacher right <laughs> but it's just another reason to praise God and um, but what happened was God was good to me because he had put really just a love in my heart for my mom and you know it makes me think of that scripture it says honor your parents and and it's it's the it's the first pro, it's the first commandment with a promise that you may have long life, and I realized that what happened was I just realized how disappointed my mom was, and how difficult life was, and that my brother and I we were just very irresponsible people, and I just prayed out to God one day, God help me, help me to change for my mom's sake, and uh, God was so faithful because what happened was. Uh, I just went on with my life, and things did get a little bit better, but um, believe it or not, um, just one night, my friends and I were out, and through a set of circumstances, I found myself in the Westminster Police Department in a holding cell, so if you could believe that, right? And I was actually sitting in the holding cell, and and this happened 20-plus years ago, and I didn't realize now, but I still remember that man's name. He was a canine officer. His name was Ron Velez and he was so you know looking back he was very kind and patient and he just engaged in a conversation with me and uh, and somehow God came up and um, he stopped about halfway through and he said you know I really think Jesus has brought you here so I can just tell you about Christ and um, and that really meant something to me because I remembered my prayer you know the prayer that I prayed and so it just felt like it was part of that journey and and I, I actually had no intention, but what he, he invited me to his local church, and he went to Calvary Chapel on Monday nights, and he said, you know, why don't you come? This is where I said I'd love for you to come and sit with me, you know? And, and uh, I went home, and through a set of circumstances, I realized I really needed to be there on Monday night. And I actually showed up on Monday night, and that is how I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I gave my life to Christ. And it's funny, as I was at Calvary Chapel Uh, This last week on Thursday night, and uh, it was just amazing being back in that chapel again. 20 plus years, and just reflecting how far God has taken me from that place to this place. And it reminds you of that one theme that keeps coming up, the work he started in us, he'll continue. So, and and we're definitely an example of that.
0: Amen. Melissa, anything else you want to say? Yeah.
1: Knowing Jesus has really uh, given me a purpose in my life, and I know that God is going to work all things together for good, and I really want to keep my eyes on things that last for eternity, and so that's my hope and prayer.
0: uh, How about you, Dan?
2: One last thing, or? Yeah. Okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think what's interesting when I reflect on my life is that I, the funny thing is, I, uh, I'm an advisor to a Christian club, so everything she said about FCA, ditto, okay? Everything she said, um, and I will say that uh, what God has shown me is that, you know, I've always, been, I'm a product of the public school system in every single way you can imagine. I have a master's degree from public school, I went to a public school elementary education, I teach at public school, I am a product for good or bad, of the public school system. And, um, and and real being back there as a teacher, one thing I realized was early on, I realized that I wanted to express my faith, and I was trying to figure out how to do it. And so that's the reason why I decided to become an advisor at Christian Club. And it really has been a platform for me to engage in conversation, whether it's with students or even my principal or staff members about Christian Clubs. I mean, I had a teacher come to me, the other day and our student christian club had wrote wrote a sign and they put it up on the school and says god loves you and he sticks his head in my classroom and he says i think that sign has crossed the line Dan." i go how is that and and he says it says god loves you i said isn't god unlike our pledge of allegiance and and our dollar bill he goes no 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 but that you know and and i realized it was a real issue and really what i had to say to him was you know this is freedom of speech, Paul." This is, you know, this is a student-run club, and that is one of the amazing graces that we still have in this country. The reality is, in this country, we are free to speak about our faith and, and express it personally, and and some of us take advantage of it, like that police officer. You know, as a teacher, I have an opportunity to do it, and and you know, we know through this election cycle, the reality is that that might even be threatened. You know, and but that grace is still very much part of our country. And that allows us tremendous amounts of freedom. And if we're not going to speak up, who's really going to speak up, right? And, and we enjoy a, a lot of blessings from the Lord. And um, so if this is my encouragement to you, and this is my thought, is that I'm not only here as a public school teacher, but I'm also here as... Uh, somebody that God has sent out into this world to tell the world about Jesus Christ. And just like each one of us, I'm actually not alone in this room, we're all together in this, right? Nod your head if you feel like I think that's that's true of me, right? If if that's true of you, God has given each one of us a platform, you know, where we engage in conversations on a regular basis. And we all have that right as being citizens of this country to share our faith. In in a personal setting, of course, but at at the same time to take advantage of it, whether it's the police officer, teachers, or wherever you find yourself, it is a tremendous opportunity and, and it is what I call a grace in the sense that it is a gift from God. It is right now, it is God's favor on this country. There's other countries that that favor has not been bestowed to them, it's been given to us, and we are stewards of that. And we really need to be bolder, I think. And I would encourage you, if you haven't taken advantage of that grace, you know, faith for me is simply just stepping out and doing what God has said to do. You know, a lot of us would love God to give us, you know, we pray for God to bless us more and give us more grace. But the reality is, from my journey with God, what i found is when I step out in faith, the grace comes with it to provide everything I need to fulfill my calling. And each one of us has that calling. And so um, to kind of do a quick segue, uh, the reality is if you are a public school teacher or you have somebody that's in the public school or you have family that's been called to public school, there's a lot of reasons to be in the public school today, whether it's for us, it's a, a job and, and a ministry of sorts because we're advisors to the club, or it's just you, know, you have people. One of the things, the graces that we have is that the Department of Education has already written guidelines for how people can express their personal faith, how they can have student-run clubs, and a lot of it is just knowing really what grace you have, and if you're interested in that or you need more information on that, uh, we did bring some pamphlets, there's some pamphlets in the back. And you'll see what the Department of Education, even if you don't have family in the public school education, if you just want to see what the Department of Education says about religious liberty and about uh, student-run clubs in campus today, you should take a peek at it. It's very eye-opening. It, realize, it helps you realize you have tremendous amounts of rights and that there is no reason that uh, you shouldn't express yourself and share you know, what you believe. Uh, you know, and uh, if you do it responsibly with God's guidance... God will do amazing things.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Melissa. There's a lot of confusion. I've heard from people working in the public school system that it's often Christians that feel like they're violating things way before unbelievers. And so uh, get one of those pamphlets. It would be super educational. Uh, To know what the Constitution and what even the uh, California public schools uh, uh, say that you're free to do. You're free to do, and in some cases, you're required to do. Um, So they're back in the lobby there. Uh, This morning, we're gathered together in what we call church, right? Uh, What is church? Um, There's a lot of different definitions of what church is. Uh, We, uh, along with a lot of other uh, churches, would uh, go back a couple thousand years to to root our description of who we are as a church. Uh, We go back to the days following the Lord Jesus' life and his being crucified, uh, his being resurrected. Forty days later, he ascended back into heaven. Ten days later, something phenomenal happened. And that is, God brought a whole bunch of people into a vibrant relationship with him. Now, there'd been people for uh, the millenniums before that in relationship, but this was a fresh work of God, and he put them together in this thing called church. And that church then began to birth other churches, it began to birth other churches, and down through the past 2,000 two years, one church has caused another church to spring up to another church— Until what, 42 years ago, this church uh, began. A couple of things that are probably important to, to, to understand that are misconceptions about what church is. One is that while it's organized, it is not an organization. The church is organized, like all living things, to be able to facilitate growth and reproduction, but it is not an organization. It is merely organized so that it can experience life and multiply that life. And so we never get concerned about the organization of the church. We get concerned about how it's organized in order to experience life and be able to pass that life on. The second misconception is that the church is a building. And certainly many churches have buildings, We meet in building this morning, and if you look out on the sign in the front, it says this is Calvary Baptist Church. That can lead you to the conclusion that the church is a building, and that is a huge misunderstanding of the church. The church is not a building. The church is a people, a unique people, a very uh, specific kind of people, but the church is not a building. And so what does make up the people that organize themselves in such a way to experience life and to pass that life on? What kind of people are these? Well, first of all, let me say that uh, who we are not or who these unique people are. They are not known by their uh, ethnicity. They're not known by the country that they were born in or the country that they're living in. It doesn't have anything to do with their social standing. It doesn't have anything to do with whether they're male or female, single, married, single, again. It doesn't have anything to do with whether they grew up in a very stable and even spoiled lifestyle or the opposite, a phenomenally unstable and even abusive growing up. It really is not determined by whether a person has lived a moral life or has participated in all kinds of drugs and alcohol and backstabbing and everything that comes with that. None of those define this group of people. In fact, people in all of those categories are a part of the church. Let me give you three characteristics of the church. First of all, it's a people who have become convinced that the true and living God has revealed himself in the Bible so that they can accurately know him and live in relationship with him. So this is just based upon the fundamental reality of this is how relationships work. And so, for example, I met Vic and Kathy this morning. And uh, I can learn some things about Vic and Kathy by watching them. And, uh, and I can learn some people, uh, uh, some things about Vic and Kathy based upon learning from other people like Robin. That's my connection to them. But if I really want to know what makes them tick, what they're thinking, what makes them do the things they're doing, what do I have to do? I have to hear from them. They have to reveal that to me. I'll never figure it out any other way. This was a huge frustration when I first got married because Camilla kept saying to me, what are you thinking? And I was a person who never told people what I was thinking unless I had it all figured out. She didn't want me to have it all figured out. She wanted to know me. She didn't want to know the final resolution. She wanted to know what was wandering around up here, which was quite an exercise because I wasn't even sure what was wandering around up there. (laughs) But I learned that if I at least said something about what was kind of wandering around, she knew me and, hey, marriage works way better that way. Well, that's the way it is with God. We can learn a lot about God, and Melissa even quoted a verse from Romans 1 by looking around in this world. And, uh, and there's enough in this world to, to be very clear that there is a God. We can learn about God from talking to other people who have experienced God. But the reality is that we have to have God reveal to us who he is by telling us what he thinks, tell him wh- telling us why he does the things he does. And that's the beauty of this book, The Bible the Bible, the book, and it's written by, what, 60, well, there's 66 different books written over 1,500 years by 40 different people with one common reality. God telling us and revealing who he is and what it means to live in relationship with him. So who are the people who make up a church? First of all, they're people convinced that the true and living God has revealed himself in the Bible. And he has done that not so that we can pass test, not so that we can brag about anything. He has done that so that we can accurately know him and live in relationship with him. The second thing that's unique about the people that make up the church is that they're not just convinced about this, they are committed to knowing him and living in relationship with him. There is, you see, uh, becoming a Christian and having a relationship with God is not something that is added to our lives. It is something that changes everything about our lives. It's something that reorients us. It's something that then we organize our thinking and our attitudes and our actions Around who he is and what he says. And so the church is made up of people who are absolutely committed to this relationship with God. Now, that has a beginning point, but it really never has an ending point. It has a beginning point when you cross the line of becoming convinced that this is God revealing and telling us what it means to live with him, and we've sung these truths. Dan and Melissa have shared a lot of these truths this morning about what, how this has landed in their own life. Um, but we're not just convinced of that. We live a life committed that where God has revealed and said something, we organize our thinking and our attitudes and our actions around what he says. That is a commitment, and that is a commitment that continues to grow throughout our entire lives and in fact, will continue, I'm convinced, to some degree, forever into eternity. One of the things that that changes so radically is that all of a sudden, the people in the church begin living for the benefit of others. They no longer live for themselves. They organize their lives so that they are rooted in a relationship with God. And what happens when you get rooted in a relationship with God, and his life begins to flow into your life, all of a sudden, it will flow out of you into the lives of others, because that's what God has done in us, and that's what he will always do through us. And so the church is made up of these people with these three characteristics— Now, the Bible describes this in a lot of different ways. Jesus used a lot of different metaphors to describe this. One of them, and many times he went to the agricultural arena where living things are. In one of them, he was standing in a vineyard one day with some of his followers and other people around him, and he used a vineyard, and he used a vine to describe this reality of the uniqueness of the people who make up the church. And he said, I am the true vine, John 15, verse 1. And he went on to say, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, say ouch, that it may bear more fruit and so here he describes the reality that just as a branch on the, on the vine is rooted in the vine, and in fact, you can't really tell where one begins and the other ends. It is such an intimate connection that the life from the vine flows through the branch producing fruit. He's saying that's what it looks like to have a relationship with God that you are rooted in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, to the extent that nobody can really tell where your relationship with Christ is and where your life is. It just kind of begins to become a muddled thing where it's really hard to say, well, that's Jesus and this is me because the life flows in such a full and complete way. And he says very clearly that the product of that is that it bears fruit. It bears fruit. Now, here's the trick. The way God created grapevines to work, they do this naturally. Because people have sinned and we've inherited this nature that just rebels against God, we by nature are not this way. And so God has to do a work in our hearts of causing us to become convinced and causing us to become committed to this relationship with him to where we will organize our whole lives so that we will get our life out of the Lord Jesus Christ and that that life will flow through our lives and we will produce fruit for the benefit of other people. What would that fruit be? The life of the Lord Jesus Christ to other people whatever that's supposed to be in that particular circumstance and situation. And you notice God the Father is so committed to our benefiting other people that he is willing to prune us. You can say ouch again. He's willing to bring suffering and pain and things into our lives, knowing that it will drive us into a deeper relationship and dependency upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he's so pleased by a life of faith. A life of faith is a life of absolute dependency upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And it causes us to bear more fruit, causes us to be a sweeter fruit to the people's lives that are around us. Now, you can see a hint of another option here, and that is every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The other option is... I don't want to be rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. A sentence later, a couple sentences later, he goes on and says this even more clearly. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's not a pretty picture. by nature, this is who we are. By nature, we come into this world, and Dan shared, he lived quite a few years' life apart from a relationship with Christ, and should he have died in that place, he would have been gathered by the Father. Well, first of all, he would have had a withering life, and he would have been gathered by the fa- Father and thrown into the fire and burned. That's a reference to how. And isn't it amazing that God gives us the opportunity to move from that to having a life rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ? He goes on to say, these are the things I've spoken to you. He says, why have I told you this? Why do I do this? Don't you love this? That my joy may be in you and that your joy might be what? Nobody wants us to cheat ourselves out of what God has for us more than God. And, and so he says, I'm telling you what's in my head. I'm telling you what's in my plans. I, I do all of this. I want you to have a vibrant relationship with me so that your joy might be full. And in verse 12, and this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This love is to flow through you into the lives of other people. And so here at Calvary, we organize ourselves to help us become and grow in more of a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might be filled with joy and so that we might bear fruit to each other and that we might pass it on to people beyond us. And everything that we do, we seek to do for that purpose. A few times a year we specifically organize ourselves to be a blessing to love other people way beyond our city. Christmas is one of those times. At Christmas time we partner with an international organization called Samaritan's Purse, gets its name for the good Samaritan, and we partner with them to put together shoeboxes. That will go and be delivered to children, who, if we don't give them something, they will receive nothing, because of the devastation or just because of the sheer poverty that they live in. Vic and Kathy are here this morning uh, to tell us more about their experience with Operation Shoebox, and so we're going to watch a couple videos and then uh, they're going to come and share some more. Come on, Vic, Kathy.